The Levites read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Thank you, Grace. From the New Testament is from one pe- you, you seem poised. Would you like to sit? <laughs> 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. Now, as I said, Sarah very helpfully gave us um, a really good introduction to the fruit of the Spirit. And she asked, can we all remember them? And I sort of just automatically rattled them off. I don't want you to think that I have kind of like memorized the whole of the New Testament. I wish I could. But the reason I can remember them is because a few years ago, I, um, I, I can't remember where I read it, but I read that there was a particular prayer that John Stott used to say every day. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for John Stott, you know, he, uh, for those who don't know John Stott, he's a 21st, uh, 20th century theologian, really influential in the evangelical movement. And... Um, can we have the, if we have the first slide up, this is the prayer, not the pig of happiness. 
he did. I mean, maybe he watched that every day as well, because I think that that's a really good, you know, I'm a of the slide. I'll, I'll read it to you. I'll read you. I, I do remember it, but it, it, there is something about it. As soon as you stand behind a lectern, stuff that you think you know by, by heart disappears out of your brain. Uh, but John Stott used to say every day, pray every day, Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I will live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I will take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray that this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. Amen. And I wrote that in the first page of my diary. Um, and then uh, instantly seemed to uh, slip a disc in my back and spend the rest of that year, or most of that year, in bed. But it's really helpful to have prayers or verses or songs committed to memory because there are times in life when actually your brain can't think for itself. And being able to just recite a poem or a prayer that brings you comfort and still connects you to God is really helpful. So I would encourage you, uh, it, didn't, it took me a little while to learn that by heart, but when you repeat something somehow and you don't have to think about it to try and remember it, and you just remember it, you can focus on the words much better. There is a value in repetition. So I would encourage you to find something uh, that helps you in that way. And it's really good to pray for the ripening of the spiritual fruit in our lives because we want these, these things, love, joy, peace, patience, etc., to become our default position uh, in life. So today we reach the subject of joy, if you hadn't already noticed. Uh, so what, do, what does bring you joy? Well, I, I, I thought sometimes it can be quite simple. Um, oh, but that's what Google, I, I, sorry, I forgot that one was there. So I, I asked in PowerPoint, you know, photographs, stock shots that were for the word joy, and that's what it brought up for me. So I thought I'd share that with you. I know there's plenty of dog lovers here. That, that just brings me joy in itself. Um, there are some other things that bring me joy. So uh, obviously I've got Paul up there. But, but do you notice the brownie points? He's got a photograph of me on his desk. <laughs> He's a keeper. Uh, those are my dogs, who mostly bring me joy until yesterday one of them chewed up a pair of glasses. So that's part of the course. And a lovely cup of tea. You know, it can be simple. It can be simple. A cup of tea in the morning at the right temperature, the right colour. Uh, and, and for me, being out in the countryside, and especially if it's sunny, you know, uh, that brings me joy. Friends bring me joy, particularly when they greet me with a unicorn this morning, unexpected. So I've been, this brings me joy. It says, try me. <laughs> I'm assuming that will switch itself off at some point. Um, and, 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 and also... <sighs> Stop it. Stop it. Um, and I was also greeted with some really joyous news that we can all share in this morning from the Gorringe family that Josh has got engaged. So that's wonderful, Lauren. 
That brings us all joy. So do take our love and congratulations back to Josh and Caitlin. And uh, uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing more about it. And uh, yeah, that brings us joy, doesn't it? Family brings us joy. But actually, this isn't necessarily the type of spiritual joy that the Bible is talking about in the fruit of the Spirit. And both of our passages today talk about joy in circumstances that we might not necessarily expect there to be joy. Now, the Old Testament passage from, uh, from Nehemiah that Grace read so well to us includes that well-known verse, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And 1 Peter, we, taught, we hear about an inexpressible and glorious joy. So there must be more to it than just a good cup of tea. Um, now, the book of Nehemiah, as many of you will know, it tells of the exile, uh, the return of, from two tribes of Judah who had been conquered by the Babylonians. Nehemiah has heard the report of the destruction of Jerusalem's city's walls, city walls and has organized their rebuilding. And they return, the exiles return together, and in chapter 8, Ezra, the priest and scribe, is reading the law of Moses, the Torah. This law was given by God to his people, and he read from early morning to midday. He does this at the Feast of Tabernacles, which is supposed to be a time of joy, so much so that the rabbis said you were sinning if you were not joyful at the Feast of Tabernacles. I know, I, I, I suspect that, you know, there are parents, and I'm sure I've been there, where, where, you know, we've paid for this, you will enjoy yourself. And that was very much, if you were at the Feast of Tabernacles, you were expected to be joyful. But as the Torah was read, the people, the gathered throng, started to weep. Despite the rebuilding of the city walls and the restoration of their dignity as a nation, they wept when they heard the law. They were cut to the heart in, the, in confession as they were confronted by God's decrees and their own failings. It causes them to confess their sin and they are in grief. They are in tears, they're in emotional distress as they are convicted by the law. But then Nehemiah says, no. Today is not a day to grieve, but to celebrate with good food and wine. Get rid of Paul, sorry. <laughs> They're called to celebrate because of who God is. Nehemiah is not undermining the impact of God's message and their need for confession, but he's emphasizing the holiness of the Lord. Three times in verses 8 to 11, the people are reminded this is a sacred day. They are to celebrate because it is holy, not despite it being holy and sacred. And the beginning and the last verse of that passage, we said, talks about understanding the word. Now they understood what they were being told, and that is why they could celebrate. It was understanding God's word that affected them and changed their mourning, their grief, into a time of joy. 
as they have let God's word sink in, they can celebrate. And that is the impact for us of the gospel. We will be and need to be convicted of our sin, but we are not left in sorrow as we understand God's word, as we understand what he has done for us. We can move from sorrow and conviction of our sin, confessing of all that we have done wrong, and move into joy. And that is the message as we turn to that passage from 1 Peter. Here he is talking about those who have received new birth in Jesus, and he talks about us receiving an inheritance. He is not talking about finances. He's following those Old Testament teachers who talked about an inheritance as something to look forward to. The people of Israel were promised the promised land as their inheritance. Whilst they were in captivity in Egypt, they could look forward to an inheritance where they would be redeemed. And they could cling to that whilst they were in captivity. So the inheritance that Peter describes is not finances or gold. It is imperishable, kept in heaven for you, he promises. And he says to his readers that in light of this inheritance, what you are suffering now is temporary. This treasure in heaven is a work of God for those who believe. It is not about storing up brownie points by doing good works here on earth in the hope that we earn a place in heaven. No, it is a promise to be grasped, a promise we have through the resurrection of Christ. It is unearned, undeserved, and it's offered to all who would accept the invitation to receive it. The promise of this inheritance is therefore key to joyous living. In verse 7, Peter explains that testing of our faith has a purpose. There is a goal of our testing. When followers of Jesus persevere to the last, there is final deliverance in that glorious day when Christ is fully revealed to us. It is this promise that enables us to experience joy, deep joy, in the midst of trial. So in Nehemiah, joy comes when they understand God's law. And in Peter, joy can be found in the midst of trial, when we understand that it is temporary, in the light of our eternal inheritance for those who believe in him. We find joy when we rest in the certainty of belief in Jesus for our eternal inheritance. And that puts our pains and our struggles into perspective. It is, of course, right that we, we are convicted of our sin, like the people of Nehemiah's time. But that grief and that sadness can be turned into indescribable and glorious joy that Peter shares with us, that he speaks of, when we are assured of the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. 
But the converse, I suggest, is also true. Without understanding God's word and without faith, faith in Jesus, we can never truly find the joy that the Spirit of God gives us. The Spirit gives a deeper, richer joy that, than anything or anybody else can offer. This is an inescapable truth. We are made for relationship with God, and only in him are we made whole. One of the early church fathers, Augustine, put it like this, You have, been, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. This is why Christians are, or at least should be, joyful. We have a sure and certain hope of an inheritance that can never spoil or tarnish. As Christians, our hearts are no longer restless, searching for meaning, for hope, for love, for temporary pleasures. No, our hearts are filled with the love of God who will never let us go. And yet, sometimes, we know life always doesn't feel joyful, and we can be at risk of losing our joy. First of all, we may lose our joy when we are freshly convicted of our sin. Living in the joy of the Lord is not pretending that our sin is over and done with and that we will never sin again. As we become Christians, we are still sinners. And as we grow in maturity and grow in the Spirit, we will become aware again and again of our own sin because we are repeat offenders. And in those times, like the people in Nehemiah's time, we are called to confession and repentance. As I have reflected on the fruit of the Spirit in the last few weeks, I think for me, the quickest way for me to not feel joyful in God is for when I fail in any of the other fruit. When I, when I am unloving, impatient, or unkind. In those moments, that's when I lose my joy. I think joy undergirds so many of the other fruit. They are all intrinsically linked. And we can, of course, feel less than joyful in the midst of trials, even as Peter says they are temporary, often they do not feel that way. But in the midst of trial, we cannot allow Satan to snatch away our confidence in Christ. For those that joined us for the Lent course, we touched on this a little bit. There is a war going on, and we can become disheartened. We can at times forget that we have this priceless, imperishable inheritance we can forget that it is dependent on God's goodness 
on God's grace and not on our own achievements. And in those times, we can lose joy. There can, of course, be all kinds of suffering that come our way that have nothing to do with us sinning, but are the day-to-day difficulties and griefs of life. We may simply be tired and worn out. In those moments, don't let Satan's lies be believable. Don't believe that God has abandoned you. You may feel sad, legitimately sad, but you can still hold on to the joy of the promised inheritance. It is not inconsistent to feel sad and know the joy of God at the same time. They are not mutually exclusive. Being joyful in God is not about pretending life doesn't hurt sometimes. But in those moments, it's about clinging on to a quiet confidence in the assurance that we are loved and God is with us. And sometimes we lose joy when we forget our priorities. Sadly, I think we have all met Christians who give Christianity a bad name because their priority doesn't seem to be the joy of the Lord, but in grumbling or mumbling, in telling others how bad they are and how bad the world has got. I'm not trying to make light of sin. It is a serious business. But when we become a people known for being angry or judgmental or even scared of the future ourselves, are we really living like people who have received the greatest, most exciting, most joyful gift of all? I know I have shared here before what Ken Benjamin said. He's a former president of the BU, now working for LICC. And he said that if we have the most exciting news in Jesus and we make church boring, isn't that a kind of heresy? I would humbly suggest if we have the most exciting news in Jesus and live a life of grumpiness, isn't that also a kind of heresy? Now, I hope, I hope it's obvious that I don't mean a sort of fake, plastic, plastered-on, permanent smile, like we see in adverts of perfect family life. But we are all called to live a life reflecting the hope we have as people who understand God's word and have placed our trust in Jesus and reflect that we live with resurrection hope. I have a card at home that I keep hold of sometimes. I will choose to find joy in the journey that God has set before me. It says, I will choose to find joy in the journey that God has set before me. And I keep hold of it, and I love the fact that it says that there is a matter of choice here. Because sometimes... Living in joy is an act of our will and sheer determination. Life can and will be rough, but let us choose joy. The joy that comes from a deeply rooted faith and hope of inheritance that is in Jesus Christ. 
Let us encourage one another. Let us seek the positives. Let us not be mumblers and grumblers. Let us be pigs of happiness. Over coffee, share one thing that has given you joy this week. Let us live in the joy of the Lord from Monday to Saturday because that is when others need to see us living differently. Friends, family, colleagues, we can all get overwhelmed by bad news. Anxiety is rife, especially among young people. And many non-Christians despair at the breakdown of society, the oppression of the poor, are equally despairing at war as we are. But we have a different and hopeful message to live out. We live a joyful life as a witness to our inheritance in Christ. When, when I was working at James Hay, a financial services company that has changed its name but is still in Salisbury, um, as many of you may have experienced working in corporate life, one day we came into work to the announcement that we had new owners. The company had new owners. And sure enough, we, I can't remember how long, a couple of days later, two or three of the new directors came. We all gathered around and heard the, the you know, inspiring message. And they said how excited they were, how pleased they were to be looking forward to working with all of us. And as we left that meeting, um, more than one of us, we, we sort of said, well, if you're that excited and you're that pleased, could you please tell your faces? Because these directors look like rabbits in the headlights. They didn't look happy to be working with us at all. And sure enough, 48 hours later, we had the notice that everybody was being put on notice of redundancy. Um, but too often, we can just get a bit low. Uh, not, I, don't, I don't mean kind of like, you know, when you're feeling depressed, but we can get bogged down in the things that overwhelm the world when we have a living hope. And I would just encourage you that if you share that hope, if you are excited and thankful, and if you think that Jesus is the best news that you have ever had, as you leave from this place and go into this new week, please make sure your face knows it. Let us pray. Lord, we know before you we are sinful people. And we are so thankful that in your holiness we can still approach you because we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. We thank you that you delight in us. We thank you for the promise of an inheritance that can never fade or spoil or tarnish. We thank you that you give us hope when so much of the world seems hopeless. Lord, help us to be a people that live out that hope, that resurrection hope. Ripen the fruit of joyfulness within us, I pray.
that we may be witnesses to a needing and hurting world. May we do so with sensitivity and grace and compassion. May we do so with the mind of Christ. And in his, his name we pray. Amen. Our final hymn is one that I chose 